0: Our Bible reading today is a continuation in Acts chapter seven, verse fifty-seven down to chapter eight, verse four. In your uh, programmes, there should be a, a pamphlet that has the reading for you, or it will be on the screen. If you have a Bible, it's uh, from the pew, from the front. It's uh, for you. It's page one thousand and ninety-nine. Acts seven fifty-seven. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of their killing him On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria Godly men buried Stephen and they mourned deeply for him But Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went.
1: All right. Well, good morning. My name's Scott. And, uh, yeah, we're going to be thinking a little bit more about what we've just read. Uh, Keep your little handouts handy as you follow along. Make sure that I'm not making stuff up. Uh, But let's pray and ask God's help for us this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for how exciting it is to be able to gather as your people. Uh, Thank you that you've given us your word that we can know you uh, and know the wondrous good news that you sent your son into the world to die in our place and to rise to life, to bring us life forever. Amen. Well, always, uh, even ever since the first century, fanatic people have attacked the Christian faith. They've tried to squash the christian church doesn't matter whether it's fanatic jews or romans or persians or communists or nazis or muslims or buddhists or hindus hindus or atheists all of these and more have seen the christian faith as dangerous and tried to squash the christian church not all of them but fanatics from many different camps have come and tried to crush Christian faith Uh, as Mike said before uh, the Christian faith though is a little bit like napalm uh, for those who weren't here uh, a few weeks ago Uh, when you try and stamp out burning napalm all you do is make it spread and whenever fanatics try and stomp out the Christian church they always end up scoring an own goal And that's exactly what's happened here in Acts chapter 8. A large group of Jewish fanatics were jealous of the influence of this new Christian faith and they decided that it was a threat that needed to be stamped out. Uh, We just read how they killed a prominent believer called Stephen and then immediately began a campaign to destroy the church. Have a look back there at uh, halfway down chapter 8 verse 1. On that day, the day that they killed Stephen, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. You're going to ask, I think, a question that should come to mind is why? You know, what is so dangerous about the Christian faith? What what did these fanatics see in the Christian faith that they thought needed to be stamped out so immediately and so severely? The Christians weren't leading a rebellion. Uh, Actually, even independent sources outside the Bible, people who actually didn't even like the Christians, wrote about how the Christians actually, the things they were famous for, was caring for the poor and the sick, uh, was very peacefully gathering to hear teaching about Jesus. Uh, very quickly, people came to realise that these Christians were some of the most trustworthy and hard-working and generous and law-abiding citizens going. So why, why would this be seen as such a threat that needs to be stamped out? But that's the thing with fanaticism is it doesn't rely on reason and we see a difference here between christian faith and fanaticism see fanaticism is a a commitment to beliefs and practices regardless of the evidence regardless of the facts in other words if i'm a fanatic you show me facts i don't care I will keep steamrolling on with what I'm committed to no matter what. Whereas the Christian faith is a commitment to Jesus founded on facts and it all stands or falls on facts. See, there's not an intellectual integrity, is there, in that kind of fanaticism. That kind of fanaticism is committed to preserving a particular set of beliefs and way of life even when it's proven wrong. And fanatics, they can't handle when opposing voices from outside point out those inconsistencies or when opposing voices present an alternative that other people seem to like or go for. I mean, look at these fanatics. These are some of the very same fanatics who'd killed Jesus. Jesus had given them proof beyond doubt that he really was sent from God. I mean he did things that proved that he had to have come from God. These fanatics themselves would have watched Jesus perform some of these miracles. They would have watched shrinked, shrink 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 shrinkled that's not a word. writhed up shrunk, shrunken hands suddenly grow back in the middle of in the middle of the assembly. They would have watched people whose shriveled up legs who'd never walked suddenly grow back and get strong and leap into the air. They watched blind people open their eyes and proclaim they can see. They even plotted to kill someone who'd been raised from the dead that Jesus had raised just so they could cover up the evidence so people would stop trusting in Jesus. See, Jesus had proven in so many ways that he really was a messenger sent from God. But actually, the facts meant nothing to these people. They didn't want to let the evidence get in the way of believing something that they had already committed to. And so, when the reason and the evidence had stacked up against them, they did the best thing they knew, which was to lash out, to respond in violence, to try and silence this man, Jesus But of course, they actually kicked the biggest own gall in all history, didn't they? (laughs) Because by killing Jesus, they actually set him up for the biggest miracle of all, when three days later, he turned up again alive. See, we see this kind of fanaticism all around the world, don't we? Still today. We see it in all cultures and in all places. It can be religious fanaticism, it can be humanist, atheistic fanaticism. It can be political fanatics. It can be lifestyle fanatics. From people who are paleo diet fanatics all the way to kind of flat earthers to ISIS. We see fanatics who are committed to something regardless of where the evidence points and who see other things as threats and who see Christianity as threats. And actually in Australia, I think there is a growing number of fanatics who see the Christian faith as a threat, who want to stamp out and squash the Christian church. We see it, don't we, a growing, a growing push to silence Christian voices, to censor what the church can and cannot say, to change our teachings and... We see this today. And here we see in Acts, when they couldn't prove Stephen wrong, they literally shout him down and then stone him to death to silence him. They begin a huge campaign on that day to squash the church, but it actually turns out a huge own goal because it's exactly what the church needed. See, their point to the church needed a nudge have a look back again at chapter 8 verse 1 on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in jerusalem and this is what happened all the christians except for the 12 apostles were scattered throughout judea and samaria verse 4 and as they were scattered they preached the word wherever they went now i wonder if you've ever needed uh, a bit of a nudge to get you going in the right direction uh, maybe it was something hard or even painful or, or something that actually was just a really bad thing that happened. But actually that God had used that, that experience, that event, to actually get you on a different track, on a better track. Maybe it was the nudge that you needed. Uh, before I met Keely, uh, I'd, had a, I'd had a girlfriend, uh, my first girlfriend, who uh, one day moved to England and dumped me. I was devastated. I mean, why would you move to England? No. (laughs) I was devastated. And then my next girlfriend after that, she couldn't make her mind up. She wasn't really sure. And she kind of put me in the friend zone. And I was feeling crushed. But actually, as I look back, that was actually as lovely as those two women were. I'm actually glad they both sent me packing so that I could find Keely. See, sometimes we actually need... Something to come and and change things up. And it might be something hard or something painful or something even bad that happens to us. But God can use that to nudge us in the right direction. Well, back here at the very start of Acts, you know, just a little bit, a few episodes, you know, who knows, maybe a few months before these events happened. Before Jesus went back to heaven, he actually told his disciples, his church that you will take this message about my death and resurrection, about the forgiveness that I offer to all who believe in me. You will take this message from Jerusalem to to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus had said, actually, you guys have to take this message all over. But here, when we get to chapter 8, they haven't taken it anywhere yet. They're still all hanging out in Jerusalem. The church had gotten too comfortable. They needed a nudge to get them moving. And it was actually because of this persecution that started the day that Stephen was murdered. It's because of that persecution that the message of Jesus spread and multiplied. And so rather than actually squash the Christian faith, the fanatics who tried to stamp it out ended up just making it spread further and faster than they could ever have imagined. And I think we learn something here about the way that God is at work in every detail in life. So here we see that God's enemy Satan was trying to destroy the church. He thought he was doing damage to the church, that he was kicking an own goal because God was actually using everything that Satan and God's enemies were doing to actually bring about good. And we see this time and time again throughout Israel's history, throughout the history of the church, that actually God uses the bad things. He uses all things to ultimately bring about what is good. And best. And nowhere is it more obvious than at Easter. Than when Satan thought he he was winning a victory over Jesus. That there he scored the biggest own goal of history. See, time and time again, God uses the hate and the jealousy of people who are opposed to Jesus and to the church to actually bring about rescue and salvation and forgiveness and good news for anyone who believes. See, when enemies try and squash the church, the gospel spreads and the church grows. Uh, In the 18th century, um, actually, some of the fanatics had risen up inside the church. And we see this often, don't we? Uh, And within the church in England... uh, in a lot of the church, the true message of Jesus had actually been lost in empty religion. And there was a church, uh, there were several churches actually, uh, St. Helen's Bishop's Gate is one of them, uh, and, and they actually ended up shutting out people who were speaking about Jesus. There was one man called John Wesley uh, who they actually f- shut the doors and would not let him come in and preach at their church anymore. But actually, when they stopped them from preaching in the churches, what did these guys do? They actually took to the streets. Uh, they went to where the, where the everyday people were, uh, the people that actually probably never would have walked into to the door of a church. Well, there's a man uh, who's still alive today, Dick Lucas. He actually became the pastor of that very same church back in 1961, And he said this about how God used this for good. He said, God had to shut the door of the churches so that the gospel could be taken to every man who had never darkened the door of the church. Isn't that incredible? He says that actually, ironically, the best thing that church ever did was to shut the door to the greatest preacher they could have ever had. (laughs) Because it actually, instead of squashing the good news, it spread the good news. In China, in the past 40 years, uh, communist authorities have been on an enormous campaign to try and squash the Christian church. Uh, For the last 40 years, they've been shutting down churches. They've been imprisoning leaders of churches. They've been taking away the rights and freedoms of Christians. You know what's happened in that 40 years that the, the communist party has been trying to crush the Christian church? In that 40 years, the church in Christians in China have gone from 1 million to around 100 million in four decades. See, God shut the doors of the churches in China and drove the church underground and into the prisons and the church exploded. See, there are actually good that God brings out of persecution. See, persecution actually purges The kind of false believers and the nominal people out of the church and so that actually those who stay christian actually they're really serious about following jesus it actually strengthens those believers who go actually i've got to really decide here is jesus worth suffering for or not and it strengthens the church it builds stronger leaders who aren't afraid to stand up for the truth and point out error. And, you know, it actually proves to us that God's promises are true. Uh, Kids, I wonder, if you're under 12, does anyone know what a flak jacket is? Kid under 12, let's see. Do you know? No? How about this? Uh, A bulletproof vest. Yeah. See, a flak jacket is a bulletproof vest. You wear it and it protects you if you know there's there's bullets being shot at you maybe you're a policeman or a soldier and and how do you know that your your bulletproof vest actually works how do you know if your flak jacket works we yeah luther Yeah, well, it might hurt, but it won't go through. Yeah, that's right. You don't actually know that it really works. I mean, you might believe it works, but you don't actually really know that it works and really appreciate it until someone shoots you and that, that flak jacket stops the bullet. It's a bit like that for Christians and God's promises. We have these promises of God, but, but for a lot of us, it's, God's promises are a bit like that flak jacket that we've never yet had to rely on. And once persecution comes and, and, it's, and you know that first bullet is stopped, we gain this new appreciation for saying, oh yeah, God's promises really work. And suddenly promises that we might not have thought much about before, we're actually really, really excited about. Just like that police officer who's suddenly really excited about wearing a chunky, heavy flak jacket. See, persecution... God uses to bring about really, really good things to his church. And back in the first century, God shut the doors. God did this. He shut the doors of the church in Jerusalem so that he could drive his people out to the world with the good news people needed to hear. And God may well do that here in Australia. In my generation, I'll actually be surprised if there aren't certain things that it, i'll be surprised if it doesn't become illegal for christians to say certain things that christians have been saying ever since jesus walked this earth i'll be surprised if it doesn't become illegal to keep teaching the same truths we've always taught because the number of fanatics who hate christians in this country is growing Brothers and sisters, pray that persecution doesn't come, but if it does, it might just be the nudge that God is giving us that we need to wake us up. Well, how will we respond if that comes? Well, let's see how the early church responded. Point three, with words and not weapons. Have a look. Verse one, on that great day, a persecution broke out. They're all scattered. Saul began to destroy the church. Verse three, he dragged them to prison. Verse four. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, there's lots of things they could have done, right? You know, what could they have done? There was probably at least 10,000 believers by this stage. Uh, Acts sort of stopped counting for us a few chapters ago, but there's quite a few people in a city as small as Jerusalem back then. You know, they probably could have launched an offensive. They could have taken up arms. They could have gone to battle. There's they could have started campaigning you know the political powers that be. it there's probably a lot of things they could have done but they don't the one thing they do do is speak see where fanaticism eventually when taken to its conclusion uses weapons to wound christian faith uses words to heal where fanaticism is spread by force and coercion and and consequence, the Christian faith is actually spread completely differently, spread by gently speaking the truth and letting people make their own minds up. See, God's method for growing his church is not coercion, is not aggression, it's gently, lovingly speaking the truth. And letting people figure it out for themselves. And sadly, actually, it, it, when we see people who are kind of these so called Christian fanatics, people who try to use aggression or intimidation or violence in support of trying, you know, saying that they're trying to spread the good news of Jesus, actually, that is so opposite, isn't it? So opposite to what Jesus did and to what we're called to. See, we respect the wishes of those that we speak to. We don't shove anything down anyone's throats. But we can never submit to those who want to gag us and keep us quiet. Christianity is a speaking faith. Now, did you notice who did end up being the people who took the good news out of Jerusalem and who didn't? Who stayed behind in Jerusalem while everyone else went out and spread? Who stayed behind? Yeah, the 12 apostles. You know, the 12 guys who hung with Jesus, kind of, you know, you'd think if anyone was going to take it out, well, that's their job, isn't it? Let them do it. No, the people who took it out were the you and the me, the everyday believers. And God is showing us from the very, very beginning that the work of mission isn't just for those who are employed or appointed by the church as leaders it's actually the work of every believer see when enemies try and squash the church the gospel spreads because believers speak in every situation why do we speak why why can't we stay silent as people with the news of jesus my final point it's the news that everyone needs I wonder what would what would be on your mind if you were driven out of your home for following jesus there are many christians in this situation throughout the world many people who are refugees because they're christians and they're chased out from their home their town their business their community their families their country even what would you be thinking about you've got no income no home no friends, no security. What's on your mind? What are things that you're thinking about when you're completely vulnerable? I wonder, you know, do you second guess following Jesus? Does, the, does thinking about mission take a complete backseat to your practical needs? Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that it doesn't for these believers. These Christians, in the midst of trying to find food, And clothing and accommodation and a place to live, in the midst of all of that pressure, they don't stop talking about Jesus. No one's forcing them to, they just can't help it. See, many say that we should keep the message to ourselves, but how can we? When we believe this is life or death, heaven or hell, how can we keep this message to ourselves? How could we leave another human on the train tracks without telling them, warning them, there's a train coming and there's a way you can get out of danger? See, as Christians, we can't keep silence. We need to speak. Loving people means we can't stop speaking. Well, I think there are probably people here in this room today, uh, friends of Roger and Vanessa, who are actually a testament to the fact Uh, that they speak about Jesus. Uh, And if you're kind of wondering, you know, maybe it even bothers you that sometimes they talk to you about Jesus, actually he does this and she does do this because they care about you and they're convinced that Jesus is the only way to real life. If you're someone here who doesn't believe about Jesus, I would encourage you not to feel offended or annoyed if a Christian speaks about Jesus to you they're doing it because they care about you. Actually, you should feel offended if they don't, because that means they probably don't care enough. And if you're here, you're a believer, you might feel like you're unable to speak about Jesus. Well, if you can talk to someone about the footy results, or you can tell someone about the latest news headline, or let someone know about the latest bargain or sale that's on, you can talk about Jesus. Maybe you feel unequipped. Well, that's something you can fix today. Jump online, watch a Sam Chan training video, or come to me and I'll, I'll help you with a good book. If you feel unequipped to talk about Jesus, we can help you. It doesn't take much. Or maybe you feel unqualified to talk about Jesus because you know that your life doesn't really put Jesus in the best light. Well, you can fix that today too. Get on your knees, repent and ask forgiveness. See, what qualifies us to be able to be the people who take the message of forgiveness? It's that we're forgiven. There are many people out there who you may be the only Christian that they know. You may be the only lifeline with the news that can rescue them. I had a friend, uh, it was a man I worked for, I used to have a landscaping business uh, many years ago, and I worked for an old, old gentleman called Charlie Hutchins, and I loved Charlie, um, lovely older gentleman, uh, I used to work for him, and uh, when I, I sold up my business to go to Bible college and train to be a pastor, and, um, and I wanted to keep up with Charlie, I wanted to keep visiting him and keep talking to him about Jesus. And then I didn't and then after a while I kept thinking oh, I need to get in touch with Charlie, I need to go visit him and, and it got longer and longer and I thought "Oh, it's been so long now, it's a bit awkward and then I thought oh, I should still do it and, and years went by and I, I never actually got in touch with Charlie again and I imagine he's probably dead now uh, and I can't escape the fact that maybe I was the only person in his life who might have brought him the gospel and I let it go and that still haunts me and actually it should because I need to look at my life now and see. well who are the Charlies who are here in my life we need to speak we have the news of eternal life well I'm going to leave you with a question this morning when fanatics fanatics try and squash this church because one day they will How will you respond? How will we respond? Will we preach the word and see the gospel spread or will we cower back in fear? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word this morning. We thank you that we can see how you used what your enemy had intended for evil, had intended to destroy your church. You actually used it to grow your church. You used it for good. We pray that we will know and trust that you do the same today and that we will be people who speak because we have the words of eternal life. Amen.